Welcome to In Conversation with Ocean Physio. In our third series, we're talking to world-class coaches from across a variety of sports and exploring the methods they use to help others achieve their potential and learning why they do this. In our latest episode, we're talking to the highly respected manager at Exeter City Football Club, Matt Taylor. Matt, firstly, a huge thank you for agreeing to come on the podcast. No problem at all, thank you. Thanks, Matt. Matt Taylor is a highly successful football coach. Matt is a former professional footballer who represented numerous clubs during his career, including more than 150 appearances for Exeter City. Matt is a student of the game with both undergraduate and master's level coaching degrees who completed his UEFA Pro licence in 2020. Matt made the transition into coaching towards the end of his playing career, initially with Hartby College, before moving to Exeter City as defensive coach and then as the extremely successful under-23 coach prior to being promoted to manager in 2018. Matt, why did you decide to become a coach? Um, it's an interesting question. And obviously in the lead up to the, the podcast, um, I didn't do research on myself. But I just look back on my, my journey, I suppose, um, my pathway in, into semi-professional football and then into professional football. Um, and then obviously what led into coaching. So I'd probably have to go back to back to my roots and back to my start in relation to my first experience of, of serious sport. Um, and I probably class that just past the academy age from probably 16 onwards. Um, while I was opened up to... to the men's sport at both football and cricketing levels, um, semi-professional sport for, for Burscoe Football Club and Wigan Cricket Club, um, just opened my eyes in relation to uh, a competitive environment. Um, and from that point on, I was, I was obviously really privileged to have a, a professional career. Um, but I started late, so I started professionally when I was 24. Um, and in the meantime, I went to university. I finished college, went to university um, and studied the, the art of coaching or the aspects of coaching. Um, and so when I started my professional career at Exeter City and had 10 years subsequently in the game, I was always had an half, half an eye on what was next in relation to my career and what was my stepping stones were going to be in relation to coaching. And it got to a really serious point where my body got to a stage where I knew I was probably coming towards the, the last couple of years of my career. Physically, I, I was draining. Um, I was really struggling to stay fit and stay available. And that's when I started doing the Masters and started coaching alongside playing professional football at, um, at Cheltenham at Hartbury College. Um, so I was able to have a pathway into coaching whilst I was still finishing off my career. And like I say, if the injuries hadn't happened, maybe I wouldn't have looked at it so soon. Um, if my preparation or my introduction to professional football hadn't gone through university and college, maybe I hadn't looked at coaching so seriously. But I was almost um, fed it throughout my, my time from 16 onwards that I would always have to go into something else when I finished playing. And, and coaching was obviously first on my thought. And do you think that kind of helped you going? It's the classic sort of route that people think of, which is not always the natural route, is kids, you know, superstar kids at 16, 17-year-olds become professional footballers. But do you think that kind of helped you going into the game slightly later in life? I, I did. Um, it, it helped me immensely in terms of my character building, uh, my resilience, um, my, my, my mindset towards competitive sport. Um, I obviously missed out on some crucial development years um, which you get in an academy environment so the most crucial ones of that are between 16 and 21 for a professional footballer so I, I missed out on those those development years in terms of technical and tactical aspects of football but whilst I was missing out on that side of things my 
my body and my mind was getting hardened in a, a tough environment, which was men's football. Uh, and men's football as a young player and as a, you know, I was only 16, 17 at times breaking through. Um, that, that teaches an awful lot about yourself and, and the environment. Um, so I was privileged in relation to what I learned from a, a mentality aspect, aspect, which obviously fed into my, my coaching and my career. Um, but I can't hide the fact that I did miss out on some extra development years um, by not being in a full-time environment. But that that mindset I had probably put me in good stead throughout my footballing career. Um, and anyone who, who would watch me play or, or played alongside me will, will probably testify I was never the most talented of, of players. Um, but I had a, a certain quality, um, which was probably my character over anything else. And, and like I said, that was probably forged in those early years, um, playing both semi-professional football and semi-professional cricket. So, so when and go back to that. So, when you were initially semi-pro at kind of probably 16, 17, 18, were you? Was that when you were still a goalkeeper? Yes, I, I was a goalkeeper for Bursko. Um, it is, it, you know, we can go back all the way to my childhood years where I'd, I'd play at my age group as a goalkeeper, and I play as the older age group as an outfield player. So, um, I, I don't know quite know why it was. I was, you know, I was, I was gifted in both aspects, I suppose, in both positions, um, and I didn't see it as a big divide because I'd, I'd naturally always done both. Um, so it was it was strange on a Saturday I'd play in nets um, for my my local club and then on the Sunday I'd play outfield. But then once he got to sixteen onwards, um, I got my first opportunity as a goalkeeper in that semi-professional environment, and that was Bursko due to their first um, first team keeper being injured and, and their second choice keeper being in, suspended. So um, luck was on my side in relation to that. And then when I got the opportunity, I, I impressed and, and got to stay within that environment as a goalkeeper. Um, subsequently, obviously my career was was as an outfield player, but throughout that non-league career I suppose I was able to play college football university football Sunday football all as an outfield player so it wasn't as if I missed you know six or seven years as a, a centre half as well. Oh, that's great. I mean, it's great I mean to play in more than one position is outstanding and, and as you say more than one sport with cricket as well we'll get into that perhaps later on but so towards the end of your career it's pretty unusual for a player to go a lot of people would talk about coaching and becoming a coach but to actually go back to university having done it once before and do a master's level degree that that must have been quite a commitment at, whilst also playing as a professional footballer it, it was a commitment um i must admit i was i was really helped by hartbury college um you know there's a lot of good staff there mark richards um he was heading up the football program at the time he he obviously, we'd play together for england universities um and he invited me in to have a look at the setup it's a full-time setup so it's not like a lot of university teams are very sport orientated at Hartbury. Um, and I was able to, to coach in the morning from between seven and nine and then go and, go and train for Cheltenham after that. And then I'd be able to go back to the library in the afternoon and, and do some studying. I only did it on a part time basis. And probably at the time, there weren't too many footballers uh, with the mindset of that education is important and qualifications and the studying is part and parcel of, of your sort of development. Um, but what I will say now, and, and probably through Paul Tisdale's time as much as my time at XSC, there seems to be a lot more um, or a bit much better uptake of, of players studying. Um, they're all on part-time degrees. We've probably got five or six at the moment who are actually studying alongside playing football. And unfortunately, it's not a bad thing, but a lot of footballers have a lot of spare time um, yeah. and that can become idle spare time. And certainly for a young Brit, important to, to keep it active so we advocate that ecstasy and um, like I said not just myself but before my time in terms of Paul Tisdale and it's great to see the players learning whilst they can still you know have a career in professional football. That's, that's fantastic so you, you obviously played for lots of clubs in your career uh, most famously obviously with Exeter City but what this did perhaps give you was the opportunity to experience a variety of coaching and management styles has that sort of influenced you in your own style? 
Definitely. I mean, like I say, when I was looking back on my career earlier on this week, um, my first four years, we were the same manager. Um, and that was during Paul Tisdale's sort of 12 years stint as Exeter City manager. So I only had the, the one experience of one manager and one style of coaching at Exeter City. And then my, two years subsequently at Charlton, we were under Chris Powell. So my first six years were kind of really steady in relation to management and coaching and, and influences. And then I probably played a, below probably seven different managers over the last few years of my career. Um, four in one season at, at Cheltenham um, and three in one season at Newport. So it sort of tells you how quickly it can change in sport. Um, so I saw both sides of, of success and stability and then the other aspect of, of uncertainty and, and difficult times. Uh, and unfortunately, in a manager's position, you obviously lose your job on a, a run of poor results or poor form or, or a poor record in, in terms of playing. So it can quickly change. And that, you know, I probably learned a lot more towards the end of my career playing under different managers who came in for short periods of time. Yeah, it was interesting. I'm saying Paul Dillsdale was, you know, had the longest career, I think, at Exeter City. But Chris Powell's interesting. So Chris is the current coach at Spurs, isn't he? And coach is currently with England alongside Gareth yeah. Southgate. So yeah. that's that's very high calibre of coach to be under at that point in your career. It, it was. Um, and it was different to, to Paul Tisdale. Um, Paul Tisdale was methodical, um, very intellectual, uh, very tactical-based coach, whereas Chris Powell was more of his personality and his character influencing the group in a, a positive way. Um, so they were, they were almost totally different. And, you know, with no disrespect to Chris Powell, he, he wasn't as tactical or he didn't think about the game as much as, as, as Paul did and didn't go into as much detail, but he knew how to get the players feeling good about themselves. Um, and he's obviously gone on to have a, a good career. Um, he probably wants to get back into management at, at some stage, and I'm sure he will do, but... He's gaining fantastic experience at Tottenham and like you touched upon there at England as well at the moment. So um, to see how different people worked at different stages and, and the club in relation to Charlton was a, a higher calibre of club than, than Exeter City. Um, facilities, fan base, stadium um, and, and finance made it a slightly different feel than you know, Exeter City's always had the slightly mentality of um, we've got to make the best of any situation, whereas Charlton had everything laid out on the plate for them. So different working environments, but, but no different in terms of their, their, their belief that their, their methods would, would, would subsequently bring good results. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. Alongside that experience, you know, you've, you've really gone for the academic aspect. We've touched on the kind of bachelor's and master's degrees, but yeah, you're, you're way for pro licence. There's not many, it's only 25 people do that a year and you did yours alongside Frank Lampard and Michael Carrick. How did that kind of help your coaching philosophy, that pro licence? That's the highest qualification available in football. Um, look, it, it was the most um, worthwhile course I've been on and that's no disrespect to any other course, including the Masters and the, um, the, the, the Bachelor's of Science I got at Sheffield Hallam. Um, it, the, the connections and the people on the course were so impressive that you just you couldn't help but learn in the, in the environment um, and the study days and the study visits and when we went abroad, when we went to watch games and to see other sports and to see high performance at the top level, to see how other people work and manage their groups was was absolutely incredible. So I was privileged to be in that position and be in that room, I suppose. Um, and it didn't shape my coaching philosophy in, in any way. Um, you've got to be true to yourself in relation to that. But, you know, the best coaches, are, you know, it's often said, are like magpies and they take the best bits of everyone else, um, but they stay true to their own their own skin and, and their own identity. Um, and I was lucky and privileged to be in a position where I could learn and gain information and gain experience from some of the best coaches in the world. Um, your podcast is about world-class coaching. I'm, I'm nowhere near to that 
that level yet. But being in a room with international coaches and and coaches who played international football and coaches who are working in the Premier League was was absolutely outstanding um, and a fantastic experience. But you still come back to the grind, which is ecstasy uh, on a daily basis, and you've got to take what's valuable to yourself um, and then try and implement it. You can practice it and, and try it. Um, and still try and figure out what the players need. That's always what I revert back to. And what do my players need on a daily basis and on a weekly basis? Because um, they need that to to understand where they're going to get to. And is that how you'd kind of describe your your personal coaching philosophy as being player? You know what the players need. Yeah, I, I've got two almost non-negotiables, um, and it's and the first one's probably underplayed or under thought about in, in relation to professional sport and and that's their bodies um, as professional athletes I expect them to be as fit as they possibly can be um, simply because I need them available for as much as uh, the season as, as they can be um, but they need to be available as well um, the old saying is that they're all self-employed as footballers and their bodies are their vessel which will allow them to do that um, so they've got to take care of their bodies first and foremost and then my second non-negotiable is that no matter what the scoreline no matter what the situation they always give 100%. And that's easy to say um, and easy to, to talk about. It's actually doing it in relation to the action of, of being in difficult circumstances. So those are basically my two non-negotiables. And then I ask them to to, to look to improve. Um, and any player we get to come into Exeter City or we sign or we get through the academy has got to look to to leave the building or leave ourselves in a better position when they joined us. Um, and they'll only do that by matching the coaching investment that we put into them. Um, and that's an awful lot of investment because... We, we have to have that as our, our main focus because we have to generate a certain amount of income to keep the club going. Yeah, absolutely. You know, to make it viable. And that's, you know, we'll get into that in, in a second, actually. But going back to that first that first non-negotiable, um, the player's body being their responsibility to sort out. How, how, does, um, how do you monitor that? Does technology play a part? Yeah, look, we've obviously got a full-time strength conditioning coach. We've got a full-time physio. Um, we've got a sports rehab therapist and a, an intern in relation to the SNC department as well. So we've, we've got a provision there for the players. Um, but we all know anyone who's played sport of any level will know that the, the players are fully in control. Um, how many sets they do, how many reps, what weight they do, how hard they work and how hard they push themselves. Um, it's, it's, sometimes that's hard to measure um, and only the players themselves can know truly how hard they, they push themselves. And it's it's always for their own benefit and we have to hammer that home as best we can. Um, a gym session is not a punishment, it's not a chore. Um, it's to allow them to be more robust and to be stronger and to be more available for, for future training and games. Um, and, you know, we've made an investment in each and every one of our professional players at Exeter City and we need a bit of something coming back. And, and the first port of call for myself is that they're available to play. Um, injuries happen in sport. Um, I'm, I'm not... You know, naive to think that people don't get injured because they do. Uh, and myself, on my experience towards the end of my career, I had an awful lot of injuries. But the players can give themselves as good a chance as any by by maintaining a certain program and a certain schedule and a certain structure into their daily work. Structure that's there now with full time strength conditioning coaches is relatively new, and it's good to know that Exeter City are doing that. Um, are the boys expected to come in pretty much every day and do some gym work? Is it well structured for them from that perspective? Yeah, uh, obviously on a daily basis, they'll have a pre-ab session before training. Um, a lot of them have got their individual programmes now. Um, and those individual programmes are designed based on, you know, niggles or previous injuries or previous weaknesses they've got in their bodies or, or even position specific. So like you touched upon there, we're probably going into more detail um, in professional football than we have done in previous years. Um, I'm, I'm following slightly behind the, the footsteps of, of rugby. Um, we've always felt we're slightly behind in terms of the the, the 
the amount of time and, and effort we put into our physical well-being in relation to professional football. But it's getting quicker and quicker. The pitches are getting better and better. Um, and the athletic aspect of sport and professional football is going up and up and up. So um, I think the modern day player is never really out of shape. Um, even at our level, which is a, a low level in the football pyramid, very few of our players are physically out of shape and, and they all look athletic and they, all, they can all move. And um, being able to cover the ground and run at a certain speed is absolutely key in relation to, to sport and football. So we, we've obviously got the GPS and all the data and the measurements um, and we weigh the players on a regular basis. But to, to see how they work individually and collectively in those sort of environments is also another aspect as a manager or as head coaches will testify, which is vitally important because sometimes the hardest yards are the ones which nobody sees. Um, and like I say, that's what we try and implement into our group that before pre-season or, or when they're away from our environment, that they still as work as hard as they possibly can. And I always revert back to it and it's for their own benefit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, GPS will tell you, like an unbelievable amount of stuff nowadays you know you can measure all manner of things you know distance covered speed all the rest of it but like you say the players know themselves that's up to that second fundamental whether they are actually putting 100 percent in every day to move themselves forward definitely definitely and you know that that's that's almost the second non-negotiable um that they're giving everything they can the whole amount of time um there's times to switch off and, and we give the players the days off and we have down days and, and lower load days, if that makes sense, in relation to training. So it, we don't just blast them every minute of every day. And, and we, we try and break up their, their their weekly schedule and their weekly regime into a bit of fun and competitive aspects and, and times where they can switch switch their body and minds off. Um, so we try and get the balance. And, and you know, we, we, I'll talk about lots of different words in this podcast, but as a, a manager, um, more so than a coach, it's getting the, the right balance going through the environment. Um, and getting the, the right amount of every single ingredient which goes into the next competitive aspect, which is probably the, the fixture at the weekend. So your training schedule from Monday to Friday has got to include a certain amount of different aspects which we will face at the weekend. One, of course, is, is the physical aspect. The, the, another one is obviously the, the tactical aspect of the game we, we're going into. Um, but it can't all just be those two. There's, there's got to be various different bits and pieces which we touch upon in, in our weekly work. That sounds great. I mean, it sounds really good. It sounds really well structured. Um, you've, you've sort of talked in the past about one of your fundamentals is that you build a successful relationship with your players. You've got quite a big squad as any, as any, as any kind of football club would have. And um, you talk about adopting a variety of approaches for that. How do you go about getting a, a successful relationship with each and every one of your players? Well, that, that's one of the, the hardest aspects, but what most rewarding aspects of any manager or coach. Um, so I've got 30 plus professional footballers um, under my remit, I suppose, as first team players at Exeter City and then probably another five or six hundred in, in the academy. Um, and you try and get have in different relationships with each and every one of those those players. Um, but those relationships are based on the, the, the same points, really. Um, honesty, integrity, keep treating each other with, with respect. Um, that, that's the key to our environment at Exeter City. And the mindset to, to look to get better. Um, we've got quite a young coaching group um, who are all ambitious in relation to where they can go in a professional game. And we've got an ambitious group of players. Um, and whether they've come from the academy or what we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about, the recruitment processes, we try and recruit the right type of characters um, and they've got to be the right fit for, for Exeter City um, and almost match our, our character traits going so that they fit into the environment pretty well. Um, and like I say, we, we do as much due diligence in relation to their character as we possibly can when bringing players to this football club. And we feel the ones who've come through the academy route are already, ha already have that ingrained in them um, through our fantastic academy system. So we're really lucky that a lot of our squad are made up of academy players 
and then the ones we add to it um, have got to fit the bill in relation to what an Exeter City player looks like. Well, uh, I was going to come on to that. So we asked Rob Baxter from Exeter Chiefs the same question. You know, what does an Exeter player look like? So when you're looking at a, an Exeter City potential signing, what, what, what sort of qualities would you be looking for in that player? Well, well, first and foremost, it, it, it goes back to the balance. Um, and as any manager will tell you, the football team, you need a balanced squad. Um, so you need a blend of, of youth and experience and quality in, in different positions, in different areas of the football pitch. Um, you'll need pace and you'll need control. Um, but like I said, we, we're blessed because half of the squad is made up of academy players. So I can almost tick off the, the young players list before I've even looked at my squad because I know we've got a lot of young players coming from the, the academy. So in relation to the rest of the group, um, there's a reason why they're available and they come to XSC and, and it's literally the opportunity to improve. Um, we very rarely spend transfer fees or put money towards transfer fees. Uh, we've done it once this season with, with Sam Nombe. Um, that was the first time I've done it as manager and Paul did it only once or twice in his 12-year career. So there's not money to go out and spend and to, to recruit players by buying them into the football club. So we give them something which we've, we don't feel they get elsewhere, which is the opportunity to develop, but also the opportunity to, to use us as a bit of a platform to further their careers. Um, this, this could go two ways where a lot of those players I'm talking about are, are mid, mid-age players or young players, but also that the senior ones who are dropping down who are going to be a good influence on the rest of the bunch who are maybe trying to keep their careers going for the last couple of years um, and still want to play at a certain level. But I know will add value in relation to their experience, which will they'll drip feed to the players on a, a daily basis. But the, the character aspect is the thing we look at first and foremost. Um, and that's the one we go into the most detail in, in relation to our recruitment process. And once we feel that they're the right fit and the right mindset to want to improve and want to be successful. Um, and then we look at their playing profile um, and we've got a playing profile structure and system in place for every single position on the football pitch. I mean, as you say, it sounds great. I mean, as you say, Exeter City's it's club owned, isn't it? So it doesn't have a wealthy benefactor. It can't keep buying these players in, but it's developed this kind of outstanding uh, reputation for balancing the books with young players, like say from the academy, seasoned professionals, and players perhaps looking for a stepping stone into playing higher up. Um, how do you kind of find managing that dynamic of all those different kind of reasons for being at the club? Well, it's, it's the most rewarding part of my, my work. Uh, we've coached and we've worked, we play, go on to play at a higher level and, and forge out fantastic careers at the top level of football is, is incredible to see. Um, and you feel as a coach and manager and our, my staff feel we played a part in that. Um, but it's important to say that because we're, not as financially strong as other clubs at our level that they don't come here for financial reasons. Um, so it also means that we lose them relatively early at the moment that those financial um, you know, packages get put in front of them, even as young players, um, that their heads can get turned pretty quickly. And then you have, you're having to rebuild a, a squad on the back of players you, you consistently lose. So you know it, it works both ways as a manager at Exeter City where you understand that you're going to lose players. They're going to move on to a higher level. Um, we need value to come into the club when that happens. But then as a manager, you're going to have to rebuild your squad based on a lot of turnover players, which is certainly not ideal when you're trying to put out a certain product on the pitch year in, year out and season in, season out. Um, but that's part and part as, parcel of the remit as, as, as Exeter City manager. So as long as you understand it and buy into it, then, then, then it helps the, 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 the belief that the system almost keeps on working. And, and you touched upon it there, we do keep on producing good players who've gone on to play at a higher level. I mean, the Premier League and the Championship and League One is, is absolutely littered with Exeter City players, some of which have, have, have brought income into the football club through, through fees, which other clubs have, have bought these players. And, and that will continue to happen, but it, it does have to happen because we've got no other form of investment into the football club. So 
Um, understanding that is, is a key aspect as, as manager of XSC. Well, I mean, you, you touched on the academy and it is it is really worth mentioning. The Exeter City Academy is becoming extremely well known. Their graduates, you've got Ollie Watkins, Ethan Ampadu have gone on to represent their, their respective countries by the Premier League. You've players, young players like Ben Criseni have gone on to play for teams like Aston Villa and then young teenagers like Sonny Cox, Alfie Pond. They're knocking on the door of the first team right now. So it's a huge asset to have. Do you, do you play a part in that and overseeing that? Yeah, look, we, we feed into the academy on a daily basis. Um, it's important to say, though, that we're no different in terms of producing players to a certain age, if, if that makes sense. So our under-16s, um, we're a category three academy, um, and our under-15s, under-16s, whatever age group for the academy, are no real different to any other academy age group throughout the land. Um, the only difference is from probably 16 onwards is their exposure to first-team football. Um, and the fact that we need the young players to play in our first team um, and to play well in our first team and then to go on to bigger and better things because of the financial incentives. Um, other clubs produce good players. Uh, they just don't play them. And, and as managers, one of the hardest things to do is to keep playing a young player when they will make mistakes. And you know they will make the mistakes and you'll know they'll have weaknesses in their game. But you have to see the, the, the long journey in, in relation to their development and their pathway to, to becoming a, a good quality first-team player and then they move on. Um, it's as simple as that. So that, that's a, an aspect which isn't really talked about a lot excessive because we get the reputation of producing good players. Every club in the land produces good academy players. It's what happens next in terms of a, an opportunity for a young player to basically play in the first team. And we use the first team as exposure and experience as much as anything else. And then sometimes, you, unfortunately, you have to sacrifice results and possibly success as a manager. Um, because you want the, those young players to come through and you have to keep that pathway open. So it's always a balancing act in, in relation to young players and their time in the first team or, or getting their time in the first team. Um, but it's something we feel we've, we've got pretty much, not spot on, but we've got got well worked at XSC. And I, I mean, that, and that's one of those fascinating topics in football, isn't it? That as, as an aspiring or a, or a fantastic 16-year-old, are you better off staying with a club like Exeter City and actually getting exposure to the first team and a really good platform of playing in men's football or going into a, you know, a Premier League team and playing under-18 football within them and never, never getting towards the first team. It's, it's a debatable topic, but I think Exeter's doing a really good job. And in the, I've definitely got, you know, if you watch the games and the, week, the weekday games, the game this week, you know, the young players coming in, it's fantastic to see them coming in and playing so well and being given an opportunity. Definitely. And you mentioned about Premier League clubs and, and a lot of the higher category clubs. It's not just the, the the facilities they've got, but they've got so many bodies in front of each and every player. So if a yeah. six, under 16 signs a professional contract, he's got hundreds and hundreds of players ahead of him before he even gets close to the first team. If an under 16 signs a professional contract with ourselves, he's probably got 30 players ahead of him. Mm. And some of those 30 players are already young players as well. Um, so... It's realistic, um, it's achievable, and they are so close to our first team that the moment they sign a professional contract that they get their exposure. It might not be seen on a Saturday in relation to a, a game or a league game, but they trail with us on a, a daily basis, as long as they're good enough and we see a potential there. So it, it's a, it is an interesting debate um, because everyone else in terms of those higher level of clubs you, you've just mentioned, I've got an under-16s and under-18s and under-21s and under-23s. I've probably got a B team as well. And all of a sudden, those squads are 20 to 30 deep in relation to players, whereas ourselves, we're a lot smaller and we're a smaller club. We've not got a separate under-23s group, so any professional player will train with ourselves. 
Um, and that is the exposure to the first team that they need, which we feel benefits them in the long run. Um, and it's ironic because you see so many um, players at, at higher levels looking for loan moves and a low move would look like dropping down to our level, to be honest with you, um, and coming to play for ourselves as opposed to starting your career with ourselves. But, uh, you know, we can't be disillusioned in relation to the facilities, the finances, which the other clubs can offer at the top level. Yeah, but I mean, and you talk about potentially sacrificing results, but right at this precise moment in time, you've got the longest unbeaten streak in English football at Exeter City, um, and you're playing an incredibly dynamic and exciting brand of football that is lovely to watch. Players appear to be from the, from the side looking on, they appear to be playing with complete freedom. They're loving their football, celebrating with each other and having, like you said, that opportunity to have a bit of flair and potentially make mistakes and not feel that that's an issue. And what's not to like as a player? Yeah, exactly. exactly that. But, but players want success. They want promotions. Um, they want financial incentives and financial rewards um, and I, it's my fourth going into my fourth season as manager and I've not achieved promotion as yet and um, Paul, Paul, Paul Tisdale achieved two promotions in his 12 years at XSC and obviously one relegation and his last sort of six or seven years at the club were, were stuck in league two um, and it's a difficult league to get out of with the, the, the not the style we have but the structure we have um, and that is through the young players because young players will make mistakes. They won't be as consistent as some of the top teams at our level. They'll put on fantastic runs of form, which we're on at the moment, um, but they'll also have the moments where they are weak physically and mentally and their games show sign of weakness. Um, and it's those times which you've really got to earn your money as a coach and a manager to pull them through and keep believing in them and keep selecting them, which is what we've been speaking about, and keep putting them on that pitch to... to to get them through any difficult periods because that's when they'll learn from it the best. Um, and whilst that's happening, unfortunately, you probably are sacrificing results. So um, we've come close in recent seasons and even before my time, we, we got close with Paul Tisdale as well. We've been in three playoff finals in the last five or six years. Um, but we do want a promotion um, and we want a promotion to go alongside the other good work that we've been doing, which is what we've talked about in terms of the production and development of, of young players and income into the football club. And if we did get into League One, then the way... We're going with the club behind the scenes and the new training ground coming in and the, the pitches and the facilities and, and the investment. Then we feel we could be a stable League One club. Um, but it's the hardest thing to get out of League Two. Yeah, it is. But it sounds like you're doing it in a very sustainable way rather than pushing for an you know, unachievable kind of goal that you get you then come straight back down again. If you do it sustainably, you've got a chance of staying in there. And you've got some... We've talked about the young players, but you've got some exceptional players that exited this season. Some of the older players. Captain Matt Jay... My son's favourite player, you said you brought in Sam Nambe. These are really good players. Is it great to have them about the squad as well? It is. And Matt Jay is a prime example of um, a young player's pathway being slightly different. Um, he, he didn't break through at 16, 17. Um, he got his real first opportunity at 23, 24 years old. So he had to be patient. He had to endure different loan spells, different experiences, uh, time on the bench, time you know, in the stands watching the, the team. Um, and then he's got his opportunity. He's really, really taken it really well. Um, and he's a captain of this football club, probably based on his his pathway and his experiences. Um, and that's probably moulded the character that he is. And he had a fantastic season last season. He's carried on that form this season as well. So he understands the club better than anyone. Um, and then in terms of the, the other group we've got around him, Sam Nomme is an example of a, a player we invested in. He's the one player we, we paid a fee for this season. Um but we feel that he'll produce not only on the pitch, but he'll produce in relation to a feed back into the club 
at a later date. Um, anyone who's seen him play, including your son, will testify that he's he's a very raw player, full of pace and power, and very dynamic. And we're trying to smooth his smooth those rough, rough edges, I suppose, um, and turn him into a, a real asset. And and whilst he's doing that, he's obviously a fan's favourite straight away because he's he's all action. He plays off his his heart and plays off instinct. Um, and it's fantastic to see him come into the club and, and buy into what we're trying to do in relation to his development alongside the team's development. Uh, it just sounds great. You know, it, all of this sounds like you're developing what, what everyone's... The, the, the buzzword at the moment is culture. And, and from any, any group of players, under nines to elite, the culture you create as a coach really influences their experience and enjoyment. Is culture something that's really important to you at Exeter City? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, use, I use the word environment as opposed to culture. Um, yeah. the, the, the environment is absolutely key for myself. And... Um, I, I didn't have a perfect environment when I first took over as manager. Um, it's probably taken me two and a half, three years to get the environment as close to what I want as, as possible. Uh, and it's still evolving. It's still changing. You still lose staff. You still bring new staff in. Um, but to get the right people in the right positions, um, you talk about the balance of a team on the pitch. The balance of the team off the pitch is, is, is from a management point of view, something which can't be underestimated. Um, and the focus and the, my biggest learning journey, I suppose, was was getting that, that balance right and getting the right staff in the right positions and, and, and the different personalities within that staff, the different roles and responsibilities and getting there or gaining their understanding um, of what's needed, not only on a daily basis, but a, a weekly basis, like we spoke about, in relation to the product which is on the pitch, because um, that's the most important thing. But that's only possible with, with good people around you um, who, who give the same messages as yourself, just in a different language. Um, so the players aren't receiving different information. Uh, they're re- receiving the same information, but just through a different voice. Um, and in terms of contact time, I would probably expect my physio to spend more time with the players than I do on a daily basis. Definitely my SNC coach, potentially my coaches as well. Um, so you, you can't underestimate how big a importance that, that those people playing in any role in relation to creating a good environment. Sounds, sounds brilliant. You know, you, it, it gives players, they know that they, the club are investing in them, not just tactically, but physically, psychologically, and everything's going on. And it gives them what well, you've, you've talked before about, you like players to take responsibility on the pitch, to make their own decisions, to take ownership of the game. You know, can you do you feel these sort of behaviours and these attributes that you're looking for can be taught and coached, or is that something that players come with? A lot of influences through their childhood years uh, and the parents are the biggest influences. Um, and, and I don't know what, is it Generation X they call this, this group of young teenagers <laughs> yeah. and, and so on yeah. and so forth. Uh, and they, they get a bit of a bad press. Um, but they've, they've gone through an awful lot as well you know, in the last 18 months or so with the, the pandemic and, and what has happened previously in relation to that. So um, it, it, it's not easy on a daily basis to to see the social skills apparent on the football pitch. Um, and that's something we, we, we're trying to improve and we're trying to emphasise the importance of. Um, but young people, and we spoke about the ones doing the degrees and, and studying and have got other interests outside of football. They're the ones who are maybe more influential in the change room and on the pitch as well. Um, maybe because they, they think about the game in a slightly different way. But the social skills of, of any person, let alone a sportsman, um, have to go in line with what they do on a daily basis in relation to their work. And we spoke about the environment being respectful and, and full of honesty. If, if we see that as a starting point on the pitch, then we've got a chance and we've got a focus point to work off the back of. And if, if they're fit enough to, to do what they need to do physically, then that's another focus point we can tick off as well. So the, the social aspect 
is very much the, the mindset going into every action. Um, and that might be one in the gym or it might be one in the physio room. It might be someone having the lunch or out on the pitch. Um, but we certainly the social skills is something which we feel needs constant work. Um, and as much as we shape and guide them, they still have to find their own way um, and have their own identity and personally on the football pitch and in life as well. Yeah, and that comes from the top. I have to say, when I when I watch you in interview, you seem very calm, very measured, and to be honest, refreshingly straightforward and honest in post match interviews. There's there's no massive highs and lows. It's incredibly reassuring as a fan, and I, I would also imagine as a player to watch your manager that calm and that measured. Off is that just your nature, or is it something you kind of have developed over time? Well, well, that's that's what's in front of the supporters and the press, I suppose, which is where you, you want to be reflected in a certain manner. But behind closed doors, the, the players will have seen me lose my temper. They'll have seen me show emotion. Um, they'll have seen everything which you expect from a, a manager or a leader at different times. And it's always to get a different response. Um, yeah. And that's absolutely key because, you know, maybe the, the, the days and the years and the, and the football of past years where shouting and screaming at players consistently doesn't quite work in the same manner. They need education and they need guidance, but then there's still a time for, for aggression and demanding a certain action and demanding improvements. Um, but as we spoke about earlier, that the balance of when that timing is, is something which, which you know shows the signs of a good coach and a good manager um, because it's all about influencing in the next action. You can never change what's just previously happened. You can learn from it, but then you've got to influence what happens next. And we try and maintain a certain stability at the football club. Um, and I felt that in terms of behind the scenes at, at the football club, but also in terms of the players and what I'd expect as a player from a, from a man coach. So stability is absolutely key and, and trust is the other word which we need to use. Um, and I try and emphasise that on a daily basis into the group that we, we trust them. They've got my trust as manager. Um, and it doesn't always have to come from the so-called experts, which are the managers and the coaches of the world. Sometimes it can come from, from themselves and sometimes it's even more uh, valuable and more worthwhile coming from themselves as well. So um, what you guys see sometimes isn't always a fair reflection of what goes on on a, a daily basis. Um, but we, we do feel we've got a balance of stability at this football club. Yeah, and I think that's important. I think it's important to have stuff that goes on behind closed doors. As long as it's measured and, and has lots of variety in it, then it can be, it's incredibly effective. What you put across to, to the press and to the, to the public is, is fantastic. You know, it really is refreshing to see a, a football coach that you can look up to and think, you know, that guy's got it right. You know, he's really the kind of, kind of person you'd want to lead you. So, you know, I think players would really respond to that quite well. Um, and, and, and that's an, an interesting point. Sorry to interrupt. It's an interesting no. point as well, because I, I obviously played for this football club, so I felt I, I've understood it as, as well as anyone. Um, and my honesty, my probably relaying of information is probably more than most managers at our level and certainly at higher levels as well. Um, but I, I feel that responsibility as a supporter on club that they, they need to know <laughs> and they need to know what I'm thinking, when I'm thinking it and, and, and what I've seen as well. Um, so it, it might change at other clubs and, and maybe in my future career, if I ever move on from Exeter City, I might have to slightly adapt my, my messages out to the press um, because it's great that you, you get praise for your honesty and, and, and your, 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 your stable sort of personality in the, in the press department. But also players take an awful lot of notice of that. And sometimes yeah. I can be too honest in relation to my feedback to the press of, of performances. So certainly the higher up, there's more scrutiny and there's more exposure and there's more people ready to, to nitpick you, the details of your words you use on a daily basis. Um, 
So it will certainly be interesting, maybe my next step in terms of my coaching and managerial journey, how I approach the press. But certainly at Exeter City, we feel the fans, because they own the club and they're such mm -hmm. a big part of the club, that they've got a right to know what's going on. And I think that I think as a fan, it's great. I think you, you know you, to, to to hear some honesty, to hear you're not you're not papering over the cracks when when they, when a bit of honesty needs to be said. We weren't good enough today. It's nice to hear that. Um, you know, it, work, it, it works really well. Um, is there any sort of advice you could share with players that are looking to turn, looking to become professional, or perhaps coaches that are looking to improve that have kind of helped you that that might influence them in what they're trying to achieve? Um, the first thing I'll say is that, that you've got to want to do it. So you've got to be, you know, slightly inspired or you, you've got to be able to see yourself doing this as a, a profession or as a job, whether that be on a part-time or full-time basis. So, you, you know, you come across a lot of professional footballers who go straight into coaching because it's the only thing they know in relation to their, their lives previously and their careers. I played football, so I must be able to coach you. But there's got to be a reason why you go into your next job um, and it's no different to any job across the public sector in relation to you, you have to have some sort of feeling that it's worthwhile and you want to do it you, you've got to be passionate about it so um, my biggest tip to start would be is, is that to find something you're, you care about find something which interests you find something which you know stimulates stimulates your, your brain and your mind in relation to what you want to achieve and then give it a real focus um, and, and buy into it. And if you invest in it, then give it the best possible chance of being successful. And, and that's certainly one thing myself and my coach have always feel we do well here is that we go into such detail because we want to learn as much as we want the players to improve. Um, and we're gaining valuable experience on a daily basis because we care about our, our coaching journey, our coaching philosophies, what, what's next in terms of our coaching reflection. Um, but that's only because we're passionate about it. Um, but all everyone who works at Exit City probably at a time where they were going into a certain department, whether that's physio, strength and conditioning, or even the coaching department, where they felt they wanted to achieve something in relation to that. Um, and that's something which is so, so important because you hear a lot of stories or you, you, you learn about a lot of experiences where people don't feel the, the drive and the passion in relation to their, their work. Um, and unfortunately, that's not a good balance in relation to your life. No, it's not. It's not at all. But... You know, football management is an extreme version of life, it has to be said. It's notoriously stressful. I and mean, I think the average time of actually staying in management in the Premier League is roughly a year. Um, so yeah. how do you kind of manage your stress levels away from the game, having chosen this notoriously stressful career for yourself? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because when I first took over as manager, I, I was still single um, and... I, I honestly think that if I'd have stayed single and, and my life away from football had stayed the same, then it would have just taken over me um, and would have absorbed me too much in relation to having no distractions and no out to, to switch my mind off in relation to the football because you touched upon it there, it is a hamster wheel of just constant, constant fixing, dealing, um, predicting um, on a daily basis, not an hourly basis and not only does your phone never go up, turn, turn off, but the constant amount of information which comes to your table, your desk as manager of football club is incredible. Um, even more so at a club like Exeter City because we've, we've not got a lot of, lot of staff. Um, but, I, you know, one lucky thing happened to me when I met my, my girlfriend and obviously now my wife a year into the job. Um, and that gave me other um, interests outside football, I suppose. I, I always played cricket, golf and did the odd bit of fishing. But to have a, a real daily distraction away from football helped me massively. Um, and gave me some perspective in terms of the pressures of, of professional football management. Um, 
And, you know, we've just moved house. We just moved out towards Otterton, um, the East Devon countryside. Um, and we're so settled in this area, um, which makes you want to be more and more successful with, with the club. Um, but we're so settled in terms of our, our lives and our investment in around this football club and in the area. Um, and I couldn't be happier off the pitch at the moment. And that's probably improved me in relation to my daily work. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and, 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 a, and a means of, of relieving that stress is is essential for anyone in a stressful situation. Um, you've got, talked about cricket, you've touched on that, and it's unusual for somebody that played, you know, at such a high level at 16, but you still play a bit of cricket now, don't you? Yeah, and, and it's social now. Um, but when I was playing semi-professional football, I, I played at Wigan Cricket Club and we played at a, a good standard of cricket. I played county level till, you know, my early teens or my mid-teens. Um, so I always played a good standard when I was younger, but obviously football took over and I had probably 10, you know, 10, 11 years where I didn't play any cricket at all. And I just played at a local club. Um, and the, the social side of it is, is fantastic. Um, we've actually just merged with another club in the area. Um, so now we're at Alfreton and, and Countess Weir. Um, and it, the, the social aspect of cricket, and anyone who's played cricket will, will testify to this. It, it, it's such an enjoy, enjoyable environment to, to 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 be involved with. Um, and I can only play half a dozen games a season, um, but I really enjoy playing those those games of cricket um, because it's a, a switch off from football. Whether I'm batting or fielding or or practicing, um, I'm certainly not thinking about football or other pressures of of, of the the job. Um, and I really enjoy it. I enjoy watching it as well. And, and I mentioned fishing and golf and having. Over interest is absolutely key because management does absorb you um, and you're fully invested in your job. But you, you've somehow got to be able to turn that brain off to, to think about different things. Because um, when it does come back to, to football, it's got to be fully switched on in relation to that. So I think it's helped my concentration. Um, and it's probably made me enjoy cricket even more so, the fact that I'm doing such a pressurised job as well. Yeah, and perhaps you just be part of a team and not, not you know, the manager of a team and just part part of the team, you know, is is great. You know, I'm sure they love having you about because you scored 145 not out this season. <laughs> so any team would be happy to have you. Uh, but yeah, definitely. And, and yeah, you, you touched upon it there. There's no pressure in it. Um, it's just enjoyment. Um, it's like when I go fishing, even if I don't catch anything when I go fishing, I've still enjoyed it. Um, I'm, I'm just concentrating on, on something else and being outdoors. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in that. And that's part of my, my upbringing in, in terms of the family. So, um, going to play a game of cricket and there's a captain, there's a coach, there's, there's other people who are not only better than me, but more experienced in relation to cricket on, on that pitch just takes all the pressure in relation to, to, to that day um, and make it even more enjoyable. Yeah, that sounds great. So, Matt, what, what, what sort of, we've touched on, on where you are right now, but what motivates you right now? What's motivating you this season? What's... Even before this season, Alan, we speak about character traits, uh, maybe something I had from my, my early years, um, but I, I absolutely hate hate losing. Maybe I hate losing more than actually I, I enjoy winning. Um, and that's something that has always been in me. Um, and my inner drive to, to be the best version of myself has always got me to a certain level um, in terms of my career and, and obviously where we are today. Um, but in terms of Exodus City, I'm immensely proud of what we've achieved over the years as myself, as, as manager, and even previously to that when I was part of the, the coaching group and, and, and the playing group as well. But I do want success on the football pitch um, and I do want to achieve a promotion for this football club because not only do the fans deserve that, but a lot of people behind the scenes have invested so much time and effort into this football club. And it'd be great for the club to have the reputation of a development club and a production of players club alongside success on the pitch as well. And we've come agonisingly close in, in recent seasons and there's, there's no reason why we can't achieve it in, in the next couple of years as long as we try and keep some of the 
those good players with us for a little bit longer than we have done previously. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're achieving success sustainably financially from a club that you know it's a fan-owned club and sustainably they need to need to make sure they balance the book but also culturally or environmentally sustainably with the players enjoying their football and having the opportunity the young players to come through and and the more experienced players to influence them and and further their own careers it sounds like you got the balance just right definitely and that's what we're trying to achieve um but in terms of reputation and, and from a selfish aspect, I, I do want to get promoted and my staff want to get promoted. And my, my players want to achieve a promotion, even if they did move on anyway. Um, the experience of being successful, I mean, we've had experience of playoffs and, and just finishing just outside the playoffs and the experience of selling players. But the ex- experience of what it takes to be successful can't be underestimated in any sport, let alone football. And I can guarantee that not only the staff, but the players will be in a better position to move on to bigger and better things and higher levels if they've experienced success. I had it three times as a player and I, I learned a lot about those moments in the change room where you're looking for leaders to stand up, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch. Um, I think they have to do that on a consistent basis and it can't always be the same one. Um, during the course of any football season, different people have to step up at different stages um, and we feel we're working towards that this season. Um, but in football, it can change in the next transfer window. It could change on Saturday with form or injuries or suspension. I can guarantee it will change at the end of the season. But that's a constant that we're working towards. Well, you know, as I say, success breeds success. And you're in an incredibly successful run at the moment. And I think we've got a much better understanding of the reasons behind that now. So look, we wish you continued success for this season and beyond that. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to speak to us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. No problem. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Matt. Brilliant. Now, that was just an absolute honour to gain such a thoughtful insight into the environment that Matt has created at Exeter City, built on honesty, integrity, hard work and sports science, working with ambitious individuals selected for their character to achieve collective success in a sustainable and realistic way whilst also being allowed the freedom to grow, make mistakes and find their own way. It sounds like a fantastic place to be and we wish them every success in the future.